Okay. One of the things, one of the things that um, Lori is doing, uh, the the smaller kids, uh, Delaney and, and and Riley and Blake, are staying with other family members. So basically, she's at home by herself. She will come in all hours of the evening or night. She will grab a bite to eat, get four or five hours of sleep, and she's right back and back over at Salou. And never having had a child in that kind of situation, I'll say things to her like, well, you know, she, Wyatt's in really, really good hands. You, you probably could come home and get a little bit of sleep. It's like, no, that, that is, that's like telling the mother bird not to sit on her nest, I'm telling you. She is going to be there, okay? And so one of the things that if you felt led to do so, I, I am not going to go to any of you individually, but if you would feel led to do so, she doesn't need big pans of, you know, casseroles or something. It's just basically her right now. But if you wanted to help out with little single serving portions of something, maybe you could make a casserole and divide it up into eight servings and put it in, you know, little Tupperware or something and so that she could just take it home and warm it up and have it to eat or um, even something as simple as just go buy a loaf of, of bread and, and some turkey sandwich meat and so she could make herself a sandwich when she gets in she's not really going to the store and stuff another option might be if you'd like just to go get her a ten dollar gift card like say to arby's or burger king so she could just zip through the drive-thru anything that you feel led the lord to do just to help her in this commuting back and forth some of you know and i don't remember what you call it what do you call those kind of plans like they have the little savings account the little account thing for you say it Go fund me, okay? She's allowed to use some of that money to help with her commuting costs back and forth. I'm sure she would not be anything but thankful if you wanted to help out a little bit with gas money. But the GoFundMe account, I think she can use it for that, but she can't really use it for her own food, which is only right. She wouldn't want to. So if there's any way that you would feel led, just call the office this week and say, hey, can I drop by a little gift card or um, could you give me her address? I'd like to drop off um, um, you know, a little something for her to be able to eat. And um, just so she can come in and be able to grab something and get some sleep and then get back to Wyatt to be with him. Okay, so keep her in your prayers. Also, if you notice in the bulletin, Alan Waddles is the deacon of the day. Alan decided to take a little vacation at St. Anthony's Hospital. Um, He loved the accommodation so much and the food was top flight. He decided he would stay there. He was there all afternoon yesterday. They finally found out that he has a case of pancreatitis. And so he is um, uh, being taken care of. That should come home late today. So keep Alan in your prayers as he's uh, dealing with that. In just a minute, Monty's going to come and pray for me. But um, just keep Alan and Kay in your prayers as they're dealing with that, okay? I'm sure there are other needs, and uh, just uh, keep sharing and Sam and me in, uh, in your prayers as we uh, take a week and get away a little bit and uh, spend some vacation time. We'll be back on Saturday, uh, back in here on Sunday morning. So, um, Dave, would you lead us in prayer for the offering? Just, just project. Now, Father, in the in the midst of who we are right now, Father, and I just pray right now that you would just be with us, Father, as we worship you. I just pray, Father, that our worship is acceptable, and uh, I pray, Father, that our offerings would be acceptable as well, Father. I just pray that you would bless them and use them for your good, and I pray, Father, you would also be with the giver and bless them. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. Several months ago, I um, I think it might have been back in January, I started a message talking about our life when we were in Africa <laughs> serving on the mission field and how it was virtually impossible, as you would imagine, to ever wake up in the morning not realizing that we were missionaries, not realizing that the scene that we saw out of our window was not the place that we had left, realizing that we were there for a very, very specific reason. We had been placed there by God. Today, I want us to talk about what is the calling that God has on our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. We're finishing up this five weeks on life on mission, living a missional life. And um, I want us to think about how we look at our day-to-day life as Christians, as followers of Jesus. What do we do and why do we do what we do? This is probably the most important of the five that we've done, the five teachings that we've done this month. 
It's been a lot of fun for me to put them together. I hope that you've been blessed, and um, we're going to wrap things up today. And it's important enough to me that I've asked Monty Johnson, our deacon chairman, uh, in Alan's absence, if he would to come and pray specifically, not just for me, that I would be a clear communicator and a clear vessel, but most importantly, that God's word might be taken and used in such a way that we would be able to hear it and understand it. So Monty, if you would come, I know we just prayed over our offering, but I would just like you to take just a moment and pray for us that we will be open to hear what God wants us to hear him say. Let us pray. Father, we ask you to come down upon us. Open our ears, open our hearts and our minds to receive the message that you have bestowed on Pastor Steve to share with us to share the gospel that you have written, that we read, and that we need to invoke upon our lives and live within our community and our world with. We ask you, Father, that we break down the walls and we open ourselves up, become vulnerable, to live the life of mission outside of our comfort zone. Give us the strength to do that. Give us the faith to know that you were there for us, to protect us and to lead us. Be with those that are ill. Be with those that are traveling. And give them safety and peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Monty. If you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to grab one of the ones in front of you. If you don't own a Bible or one that you, that you can use a translation, it's easy. You're welcome to take one of those with you. Uh, that's why they're there. They're there so that you can take it, take it home and have one of your own. I have to, be, <laughs> have to be honest and tell you a story about when I was a kid. Um, I'm actually embarrassed to tell you, I think I probably had already graduated from high school. And um, I got a job working for one of those uh, temp agencies that basically use, uh, that they use for kind of manual labor type jobs. You know what I'm talking about? Where you sign up and, and then they'll call you and say, hey, we, we need some guys out there for three days, you know, doing this or doing that job, you know. And, and um, I was young and strong and pretty dumb. And so um, I said, yeah, I, you know, I can do that. And I, I, um, there was a new La Quinta Inn being built. It just, they just finished it up. They were cleaning it up and getting ready for, um, for, to open it up. And they wanted three or four young men that didn't have a whole lot of experience but could just go through there and just basically just kind of clean it up. Just, just police it. You know, just get it ready so that when they opened in a few days, they would, um, it would look nice. And so I took the assignment and drove out to where the new La Quinta Inn was. And uh, uh, the guy said, okay, guys, there were three of us. He said, I want you to get out there and... Um, just start kind of sprucing things up. And uh, he walked away, and I started following him. I said, I feel like I'm one of those guys in Monty Python. Kind of followed him. So, so what, is it, what is it you want me to do? He said, well, just go find some things to clean up and do what you can and just get it looking nice. And I said, well, okay. So I worked for about 10 or 15 minutes, and I picked up a couple of pieces of trash, and I, you know, I found a broom, and I swept a little bit, and I looked around, and things looked fine to me. And so I thought, well, I don't know what to do next, so I'll just sit down. So I just sat down. And about 45 minutes later, he came, and uh, not probably being a deacon in any local Baptist church, said a few things to me that uh, amounted to, what are you doing just sitting there? And I said, well, I, I finished what you told me to do, and I didn't know what I was doing, so I decided I would just sit there. He said, he literally, literally, for those of us that are my age and remember when, he literally grabbed me by my ear and pulled me up into a standing position, all 148 pounds of me at the time, can you believe that? All 148 pounds of me, and lifted me up and said, boy, if you, only want, if you want to get more than two hours worth of pay, you better go find something to do. There are, this, this is a big compound. There are things to do. I guess the bottom line was I didn't really understand what work really was. I had, I had, I had been a, 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 if you know, they used to call them pages in the library. I was one of those people after school, go to the public library and reshelve books that had been turned in and make sure they were all in order and make sure there was ink on the ink pad and stuff like that. I, mean, I just worked a simple after-school job from the time I was 15 until I graduated from high school. I had never really gotten out and had to kind of be a self-starter, as it were. 
and I didn't know what it meant to work. And believe me, a few sore ears later, I began to figure out, if you don't want to get in trouble, you better go find something to do, because they're not paying you just to sit, okay? Well, you know what? In many ways, the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. The minute that you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, last week I asked, once you repent, which means turn from following your own way and turn toward following God's way, and accept what Jesus did, believe he, that he gave his life for you, are you done? And the answer was, absolutely not. You're just getting started. You have a life of pursuing Christ. And the, one of the job descriptions that he gives us, one of the titles that he gives us is missionary. You become a missionary, just like when Sharon and I were on the mission field. God plants you in certain places, in certain settings, and he wants you to be busy. And just like with me at La Quinta Inn, if you just sit down and say, well, I guess when he has something he wants me to do, he'll let me know. He's going to grab you by the ear and say, and much, you know, what are you doing? I put you here to get out there and see where you can find some dirt and get it cleaned up. Do your job. You are a missionary. And so many of us get this idea that we get our ticket to ride and then we just sit around and wait until it's time for us either to go home to Jesus or he comes back to whatever, you know, and, and, and we don't realize the fact that there is work for us to do. There is a job, and our job is to be missionaries. Can you imagine somebody going to Africa and they come off the field after four years and they, they say, well, what did you do during your four years? Well, you know, we drank a lot of tea and kind of just enjoyed looking around and, and, and ate some different kinds of food and got our house all nice and clean and pretty. And, well, did you tell anybody about Jesus? Well, no, we never really kind of got around to that. I don't think we just kind of enjoyed where we were, getting used to things. And, and you know, I hope that you would think that that's not what you put your money in the offering plate for missionaries to go and do, is just sit around and enjoy drinking tea. They're supposed to be out there getting to know people and building relationships and helping people understand what it is to be a Christian and then having a chance to share the gospel with them. Well, the same thing is true for us every single day of our lives. Let me let, me let you look at this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's verses 16 through 21. I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you would, and we're going to read these verses together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. And, and listen, if you will, in your mind as you're reading to places where you get the idea that this is a job that God has assigned Paul, and then by extension us, to do. All right? Read it out loud with me. Here we go. From now on then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Everything is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thanks. You can be seated. Did you see? Did you hear those phrases? He gave us. He committed the message to us. We are ambassadors. We plead on Christ's behalf. You see, everything in that passage says God is doing this wonderful work, reconciling. You know what the word reconciling means? It's just like it means in any kind of life. When you reconcile your bank account, you get two things to balance. When you reconcile a relationship, you get two people who are mad at each other to be friends again. And God is reconciling the world to himself. And who is he given this task of declaring this to? To us. To all of us, we have been given this test. And that's exactly what a missionary does. They go out on a mission. 
We go out with this idea that we have a task. We have been placed in a certain place, in a certain job, in a certain home, in a certain organization, on a certain team, in a certain setting, so that we, in turn, can be missionaries, plain and simple, to the people that are around us sharing this message. So what I want to do in just these few minutes we have together, I want to share with you four missionary practices for practicing missionaries. I want you for just a minute to say, okay, Steve, assuming for the next 24 minutes that what you're saying is true, what should I do if I'm going to be a missionary for God? Okay, you do the exact same four things that Sharon and I try to do every day that we were in Tanzania. Number one, the first thing we have to do is we have to identify. What do we identify? Okay, well, let me, let me explain. Every one of us has neighbors. Now, they may, some of them are your, 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 your geographical neighbors, the people that actually live in the next apartment or next door or right across the street. But we also have other kinds of neighbors, people that we interact with on a regular basis. And some of them are, 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 are natural neighbors. Some of them are neglected neighbors. The natural neighbors are those kinds of people that have the same socioeconomic background, probably similar education, similar lifestyles, similar activities, similar extracurricular things that they do. And it's easy to get to know them. Probably, depending on the neighborhood where you live in, most of the people that live around you are probably a lot like you, okay? If you live in an apartment, probably most of your neighbors in apartments have similar, you know, economic, social economic, those kind of stuff. Not always, but a lot of times. And, and a lot of people that you work with are probably similar. And they're fairly easy to make friends with. They're pretty easy neighbors. But then there are the neglected neighbors. Those are the people that Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 talked about as being the least of these you remember that phrase? Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was sick and you helped me to get well. I was naked and you clothed me. And he said, well, when did we ever do it? Did he do those things to you? And he said, when you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. That's our neglected neighbors. They're the people we tend not to choose to be around. Oh, they're still there. Waterloo is not that big of a town, okay? Freeburg, Smithton, New Athens are even smaller. But they're there. But they're the kind of people that we may see them, but we don't really interact with them. But you know what? Guess what? They're our neighbors too. You remember the story where the man said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story about two men who would have never met except for the fact that one of them was in a crisis. A man, a Jewish man, and a Samaritan man. So our neighbors are sometimes the natural neighbors. Sometimes they are the neglected neighbors. But our job is to identify all of our neighbors, both neglected and natural, who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, in Bible study this morning, I talked about the fact that does not mean that you have to try to determine whether this person is already a follower of Jesus or not. Okay? You don't necessarily have to be, you know, super spiritual. Well, I think this person is not a Christian yet, or I think this person is a Christian. I won't talk to them. I'll talk to this person. Listen, every one of us in this room who are Christians have had times when we were just as broken as the most lost person we know, haven't we? We've had times when we were broken. We've had times when we have fallen into sin, fallen away from God. So even if a person is a Christian, if you sense that they need to hear that Jesus died to forgive them of their sin, even if they've already asked Jesus to be their Savior, maybe they need to understand that Jesus also died for this sin that I'm in right now. He will forgive me if I will confess it to him. They need to hear it too. So what you do is you make yourself a list. You identify those people, those neighbors of yours, who, as best you can tell, need someone to tell them God loves you. He wants to forgive you if you'll just get your life in line with him. That's the first thing you do. Just identify them. For your natural neighbors, it's relatively easy. The guys you play golf with or that you go play tennis with, the people that you're in the same club, your kids are on the same ball teams, you listen to the way they talk, you hear them what the same things they say, you say, boy, those people, that particular lady, she has got, you know, she really, really needs someone to share the good news of the gospel, the good news about Jesus with. So number one, you identify them. The second thing you do is you invest in them. Because one thing that I want to make sure you understand Listen very carefully. This is, not only, this is not only narratively true for me. I think the statistics show it more than you may realize. Many of us in this room right now, today, right now, many of us are here. We're with friends. We're here together. But for the most part, we are, we are lonely. 
But I got to tell you, statistics show that the average person who does not have a relationship with Christ that then has lived out in a church family are significantly more lonely than we are. Now, they may act like they got together. They're at the bar every Friday night. Maybe they're by the bar every night. I don't know. And they're out doing other things. But, but deep down, because of their brokenness, they live very isolated, insulated lives. They don't open themselves up to other people. And these people are very lonely. They want real, meaningful friendships. Now, that's not every single lost person. Don't get me wrong. We're all lonely to a certain extent. We all need more friends, more people who we can be open and honest with and can, will care for us unconditionally. But the second thing we have to do is once we've identified people, we need to be willing to invest time in building real relationships with these people. Now, let me just, I got to stop right here and say I am not talking about a fake friendship just so you can have a chance to spout out three or four Bible verses and run as fast as you can the other direction. I'm talking about a sincere friendship with someone where whether they ever accept Jesus as their Savior or not, they will be your friends. You just like being with them. You just like spending time with them. You like investing time in their lives with them where they are. You remember Jesus was asked a question about what was the greatest commandment. And in Mark chapter 12, Mark's version of that encounter, he said, Jesus says this. This is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Do you notice how inextricably linked your love for God and your love for your neighbor are? Now, here's the hardest thing I'm going to say to you today. I'm not convinced that you can have one without the other. I'm not convinced that we can truly say that we love God and yet ignore the people that are around us. James, in his wonderful, just cut right to the bone book, he said, don't you dare tell me that you love God who you can't see, and yet you can't even be kind to your brother. Who, and he doesn't mean your biological brother. He just means anyone who would be considered part of your, 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 your circle of influence. James says, listen, I don't want to hear it. And so we recognize the fact that, that, that we, cannot, we cannot love people if we don't know them. I mean, we can love them generically. Oh, he said, well, I love everybody. Okay, yeah, I know you love everybody. But name five things that, you know, Bill Smith that lives five houses down from you would want you to pray for. And, well, I have no idea. Okay, if we're going to love them, really, we've got to get to know them. And you say, well, Pastor, you know, I live a really busy life. I know, so do I. And I'm as guilty as anybody in this room of not investing enough time in the people around me. I have prayed a lot for my neighbor over the last year and a half. He went through pretty severe back surgery. I tell you this story last week. We sat down the other day on his porch swing and talked for almost 45 minutes. And he didn't fuss about a single thing the whole time. Part of that, I believe, is the answer to prayer. Part of it is me just beginning to try to invest time in Mr. Lentz's life so that he will come to know what it is to really put your trust in Jesus Christ. But we have to be willing to shift our allegiance away from ourselves and back to what God would want us to do so that we can know people and by loving them, learn, by knowing them, learning how to love them. So we invest our lives in people to whom God leads us. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica and listen to what he says. He says, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel. We didn't just come in, tell you some things, and then hightail it to the next town. We didn't just share the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had come, become so dear to us. In other words, Paul says, listen, we invested ourselves. We invested our time and our energy in you, not just a message we came to invest ourselves. This was not some project. This was not some uh, work obligation. This was something that Paul did because he loved them. Third practice is to invite. Eventually, we need to invite people to have the same relationship with Jesus that we have. And there's any number of ways that you can do that. If you're walking along with someone and they don't trust Christ and you do, I can almost guarantee you, you won't have to say a word. Eventually, they're going to start asking you questions. 
You start talking about your church, how much you enjoy being there. You talk about the things we're doing in worship, how we're going to have this combined worship for the summer. You talk about something you learned in a Bible study group. You talk about the prayers of somebody's prayer. Eventually, that person is going to say, well, you must be a really religious person. He said, well, no, not really. I just, I love my church and I love God. I love what Jesus did for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that so many of the things that used to worry me so much don't worry me anymore. And they're going to go, boy, well, I, wish, I wish I had that. And if the fire alarms don't go off inside your head when you hear that line, then you're dead. And you say, well, let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you about my brokenness. And then you begin just telling your story. And they may right there say, boy, what do I need to do to do that? Or they may go, well, that's very interesting. And then you just pray for them. You've done your job. You were the witness on the witness stand. Remember last week, the courtroom example? You're just the witness on the witness stand. You shared your testimony. Now you're done until the next time they ask you a question. But we have to eventually invite them to the point where they are confronted with the need to do the very same thing with their lives that you did with yours. And that was to surrender it and let Jesus Christ be in charge. You remember in Matthew chapter 5, in what they call Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says these, these famous words. He said, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Did it ever dawn on you that there has never been a city with a population of one? No matter how hard you try, you can climb, climb over a mountain and say, I am a city. I am the mayor, I am the chief of police, I am the city clerk, I am a city. No, a city implies the fact there are a group of people who have gathered together to live together, and that city on a hill sheds its light. So spiritually speaking, what is the city of God? You're sitting right in the middle of it right now. We are a city. Every one of us are citizens of God's kingdom, but also of this local city, spiritually speaking, that is sitting on a hill. And so part of inviting people is inviting them to come and just see what life is like with people who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. They need to see both the similarities we have with them and the differences. We often want to focus on the differences. But you know what? There's a lot of things we have in common with our lost friends. Same kinds of jobs, cardinal baseball, raising kids, you know, trying to get them into college. So many things we share in common. The big difference is where is our primary focus? Ours is on God, theirs is not. I've told you so many times, those of you who have been in this church family for a while, you've heard me over and over talk about the Celtic Christians in the early centuries of the church. What the Celtic Christians would do, amazingly enough, by the 5th century, 5th, 6th century, the Roman church, which wasn't the Roman Catholic church back then, but, it was the, but the Roman church already had a list of principles. And they would go into these villages and they would read off these principles. And they would say, do you agree and do you believe these things are true? And if they said yes, they'd say, okay, good, you're a Christian. If they didn't, they'd say, okay, we're going to drown you. Okay? Or stab you with a sword or something like that. So the Celtic Christians told the Roman Christians, you know what? You can just keep your list. We're fine. We're, we're, we're doing it. We're, we're good. And what did they do? They would go to the most pagan villages they could find. I mean pagan. I mean like child sacrifice pagan. These were people who were just horrible pagans. And they would live. They would create this little enclave right in the middle of that village. And they would start to live among them. And, they would, and, these, and these pagans would watch them. And they would, they, would, they would mutter these little words before they would eat their food. They would mutter these little words in the morning before they went out of the field. They would mutter these little words before they would go to sleep at night. And, and, and these Pictic people, Pictish people would say, wow, these guys are pagans. They don't even do any child sacrifices. They must not believe in God at all, you know. And, and then they would begin asking, so what is all this muttering you're doing? Well, we're just talking to our God. Well, tell me more about your God. They'd say, okay, just come and walk with us for a while. And they would work together in the field. They would work together in the dairy. They would work together doing other kinds of things. And as they began to walk with them, day by day, week by week, they began to say, so, so you talk about this Jesus. You, you have this, this cross. What is that all? And they would begin just talking about that. And they would literally see whole villages come to Christ because they just lived out their lives in the midst of what? A lost world. Are we not a city sitting on a hill right here at 320 coming to drive? Are we not charged to go out and invite people? But you got to remember, just because we invite them to church, that is not really the same thing as inviting them to Christ. Sooner or later, we have to invite them to make a personal relationship, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10? He said, the harvest is plentiful and abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest 
to send out workers into his harvest. And then he says, now, go. I'm sending you out just like sheep among wolves. Now, that's kind of scary. Not as sheep dogs among wolves, just as sheep. Vulnerable, but I'm sending you out. And that leads us to the fourth principle. And that is increase the number of disciples by going out, reaping that harvest for God's kingdom. You see, what we do in our lives is we just get out there where we live, where we work, where we play, and we just tell what's happened in our lives. Live out our lives. We identify people that need to hear about how God can heal their brokenness. We begin investing time and energy into building relationships with them. We invite them to come and watch how we live, both individually and as a group. And then eventually we come to the point of increasing God's kingdom by leading them to the point where they want the same thing that we have in our lives. And let me tell you, there's not a one of us in this room that can do that job by themselves. We live in a town of almost 10,000 people. Statistically speaking, 8,000 of them have not stepped foot across the threshold of a church in at least five years. So by most accounts, they probably are not Christians or not committed Christians. They have fallen into the brokenness of their sin. This church, we could have 10 First Baptist churches, and it would be hard for us to reach all 10,000 people in this town. That's why it takes all of us working together. So Jesus has promised that he would go with us into our little circle of neighbors, and he would walk with us and give us the courage that we need and the words that we need and the energy that we need to say what is, and also that we as a church family will scatter together and go and then bring people in so that they can hear the word that God wants them to hear. You see, your life, if you're a Christian, at some point in your life, your life was radically changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you, in my life, and hear this carefully, I'm not speaking theologically, I'm speaking practically. In my life, it was not when I first became a Christian. I'm one of those that was brought up in a Christian home. I prayed to receive Christ when I was about eight years old, baptized when I was nine, never robbed a bank, never smoked a joint, never, you know, I was a pretty good kid, okay? So for me, the radical change that the gospel, wasn't when I first became a Christian. It was about, see, we've been back in the States 12 years. It's probably about 18, 19 years ago. When as a Christian, as a missionary, I had fallen into the brokenness of sin. I was so broken, I didn't even recognize myself, and neither did anybody else. So finally someone was bold enough to come and say, what has happened to you? And someone began pouring back into my life the truths of the gospel, the truth that Jesus Christ died for the sin that I was in right then as a Christian, and that I could confess those sins and abandon those sins, and God would forgive me and restore me and, and heal me from my brokenness. You see, brokenness isn't just about being lost versus being saved. Brokenness is something about being in line with God's will, in sync with him, and not being in sync with him. Peter says, once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not had mercy, now you have received mercy. So if you have been radically changed, if your life has been transformed by the power of the good news of what Jesus Christ did for you at the cross, our job now is to go boldly out into our own worlds and help others to be changed just as radically by that same gospel. And here's how you do it, very simply. You're standing in line at the Burger King or you're sitting in the break room where you work or you're standing at the fence watching your kids have football practice and somebody says, did you see the news last night? Are you kidding me? This man and his wife, I think it was, were convicted because they took their autistic child and put him in a cage? What kind of people would do that? I can't even imagine someone that would be like that. Oh, yeah, but you know what? There's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on all the time. It's crazy where our world is. And you say, you know, it's interesting because what's so funny about it is you see all this brokenness around us and you just scratch beneath the surface and all of a sudden you see there's still tremendous beauty in our world i mean it's amazing how how we can live in a world that can be so beautiful that a young couple can come together and love each other absolutely unconditionally and come together as a husband and wife or the beauty of the face of a newborn baby or 
things in nature around us, and there's this beauty, and yet there's so much brokenness. And you know what's interesting is, at my church, we've been talking about the fact that the Bible talks about that very thing, about that, 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 that dichotomy between beauty and brokenness. And what I've learned is the fact that God had a design when he first created the world. He wanted to be in a relationship with all of his creatures, including us. He wanted to have an intimate, moment-by-moment relationship with us. But the problem is that every one of us chooses at times to do what we want rather than what God would want us to do. We make our own choices, and we don't do what God would want us to do. And there's a word in that for the Bible. The word is called sin. And sin really simply is not just doing bad things. Sin is when I choose what I want instead of what God wants. And because of that, the relationship with God gets broken. And we see this brokenness. And we recognize it in the world. We recognize it in our own lives. And so what we do is we try so hard to do anything we can to restore that. We get material things, fame, power, sex, whatever, to try to, to, try to heal that brokenness that we feel. But nothing ever works. We just feel empty in and of ourselves. Well, just because we've broken this relationship with God doesn't mean God's given up on us. His design is still the same, that he wants to have a relationship, an intimate relationship with us. And so what he did was he sent Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for the sin that we had committed. He took upon himself our punishment. And what he asks us to do is to stop following what we want and and start following what he wants. The word the Bible uses for that is to repent. It just means to change your allegiance from yourself to God and believe that what Jesus did was really for you. And then once we do that, once we accept what Jesus did, we can, we can begin to see our lives recover from the brokenness that we feel. Oh, listen, the world around us is still going to be broken, but we begin to find that we can live God's design for us. We can have an intimate relationship with him, and then we can pursue a relationship each day that helps us. Now, I wish it were always that simple. Just grabbing a piece of paper, standing there by the fence while your boys are playing football and draw those three circles and do that. Sometimes it is that simple. It's just a matter of telling your story. You may have to say, you know what? I remember a time in my life when I was broken. I almost lost my marriage and things were really rough and I had to realize that without God's help, all this is is a way to have a conversation. But the bottom line of it is, is that once we identify and begin investing time in down, my mic goes off. It must be a short in it. I'll stop sitting down. <laughs> Every time, I'll never sit down again. Um, sat down, fell asleep. Um, every time we take the time to invest in the lives of people, God is not going to say, that's really nice. I think in 10 years I'll give you a chance to say something. No, 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 he's not going to wait that long. He's going to open that door of opportunity so that you can begin to pour some truth. It may be your story of brokenness. It may be your story of how God changed your life. It may be your story of the day that you recognize that God had a better plan for you than you had for yourself. It doesn't matter. This is not some little mechanical thing that you have to walk through step one, two, three, four, and then pray a prayer. This is about us as Christians finding a way just to have a conversation with people and talk about what's so important to us in our relationship with Christ. Because you see, the bottom line is, We are missionaries, plain and simple. And we have been given an assignment. And that assignment is, go tell other people. Well, I think that's enough. Next week, we're going to get into 1 John. But for now, let's pray together, okay? Would you pray with me? Father, in some ways, it really is just that simple. You had a design for us. We sinned and broke our relationship with you, so we live in this brokenness And now, if we will repent of our self-centeredness and turn to you, believe that Jesus died for us, we can begin that process of being recovered and healed and be able to pursue the life that you have for us. But we have an enemy. Well, actually, you have an enemy. (laughs) Who of all the things that he despises about you, the thing he despises the most is when your children 
start talking about how their lives have been changed by Christ. And so he will plant seeds of fear in our hearts. He will plant opposition out there in our path. And I pray that you will help us. Because there are some people in this room today that have never really thought seriously or not in a long time about the fact that they really, whether they like it or not, whether they want to admit it or not, they are missionaries. Matter of fact, they know how they got the job that they have. They know how they got that house. They, they know how they got that position in that club or, or, or organization. And they recognize the fact that you put them there. And what they need more than anything is just to get out there and do the work that every missionary around the world does, and that is to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, what do you want me to do for your kingdom today? While I'm at work, while I'm at home, while I'm at school, while I'm on vacation, while I'm traveling, whatever it may be, what do you want me to do today? I work for you now. You're in charge. Father, there are others of us in this room today who need to have that radical change in our lives. There's some of us here today who believe all the right things, but we've never fully turned from trusting ourselves and put our trust in you and in your son. And we need to do that today. Father, I pray that this will be the beginning of a walk for those people. Maybe this is the point they just say, I don't need to walk anymore. I am ready. Just like Charles and Connie did the last couple of weeks to say, I'm ready. And I just pray that others will say, yes, I am too. I'm ready to surrender my life so that Jesus can be in charge and begin healing me of my brokenness, helping me to find answers to my questions, carry me where it is that he wants me to go. So, Lord, in these next few moments as we sing and think about what we've heard, I pray that we will not walk away from here without having made some kind of decision about what we're going to do about what we've heard. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Because that's what will happen. Every one of us will make a decision. Over the next four and a half minutes, every one of us will make a decision. Every person in this room will make a decision in the next four minutes. Some of us will decide, well, you know what? That sounds real good if you're a preacher, but that's not me. That's not my life. That's one for Satan. He's convinced you this is not about you. Some of you will say, you know what, I really do need to be more committed, but things are kind of busy right now. I'll, I'll, I'll think about that later on. Two for the bad side. Some of you will say, oh, you're right. I can, I can see the person's face in my mind right now that I need to be investing time in so that I can have an opportunity to build a friendship that hopefully, if God will allow, will lead. There's one for Christ. Every one of us is going to make a decision. Along with that decision, there's got to be some accountability to it, which means, okay, now, Lord, this is what I've decided, so help me beginning this afternoon, not tomorrow, beginning this afternoon to get myself ready. Where's Chris? The reason Chris can play the way he does, do you notice he never has a single piece of music? For those of us that are jazz musicians, what's it called? It's improv. The reason that Chris can improvise is because he already knows music basics. He knows all of his scales, all of his chords. So because he knows the basics, whatever my, Brian starts to play, Chris can play along as he goes. And you see, that's what happens with us. We learn the basics. That's what we've done these last five weeks. God's design, our brokenness, what is the gospel, and then how do we grow from there? And now we get out of the world and we can improvise. So if somebody wants to talk about brokenness, you say, I know exactly what you mean. Let me tell you what happened to me. If they want to talk about how beautiful God's world is, you know what, you're exactly right. That was God's design. The idea is to take whatever conversation God gives us and turn it to Jesus. That's improv. That's jazz band stuff. Okay? But you've got to know the basics. And this week, these last five weeks, you've learned those basics. Now we need to say, I want to get out there. So Lord, get me ready. So when I get to work tomorrow, or whatever, I'll be prepared. So you got to make that decision. Okay, the four minutes are almost over. Let's stand, and we're going to sing. Some of you need to do something conscious. You need to come down here and kneel and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm your missionary. I'm going to serve you beginning right now, not beginning tomorrow, not beginning tonight, right now. 
if you send me out that door and somebody's in the parking lot, I'll assume that's because you brought them for me to talk to. Some of us just need to do it right where we're standing. Some of us have never surrendered our personal lives to Jesus Christ, and we need to do that. You're welcome to come and talk to me, say, hey, can I set up a time to talk with you so that we can begin that process? Some of you have people that you're already praying and investing time in. You just need to lift them up to God. I know many of you, have you're on my prayer list because you've got a friend that you're working on right now. And I say working on this is like there's some kind of a project. But you're working on developing that friendship, that relationship that will trust you so you can talk about what's so important to you. So wherever you are, let's let this today time be a time of nailing us down so we go from here as a city set on a hill. Let's sing together. he lives all fear is gone because we know he holds the future life is worth living you young ones don't ever let anyone convince you that the last thing you should want to do is to bring children into a world that's the way the world is today because we don't live just for this world we live for the world that is yet to come we raise our children to love the same one that we love. So as you go from here today, when you leave here, 
I want you to go out as missionaries. I want this to be your commissioning service. For you to go out and say, I have a task. I have a commission. I have a job to do for my Lord and for my kingdom. For His kingdom. So that we might be able to join with people around the world who are living out every day the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, a dear friend of mine, Mr. Smothers, has come saying that he wants our church to be his family. He first started coming and worshiping with us when was it when you was it when you're well the most recent was when you're probably when your daughter she was married here yeah yeah so you've been in and out of here a lot 40 years wow okay park street here come on up, get up here come on get up here well now you're going to come and stay we're not going to let you go James. Who calls you James? Did anybody call you really James? I didn't think so. <laughs> Saint Jim, you said? Jim. Oh, okay. Just say Jim. I said Saint Jim. No, no, this is Saint no, Jim. No, no. Uh, Just Jim. <laughs> this is Jim Smothers. If you know the Smothers family, um, they're a wonderful family in our town. Um, I know Smudge real well ever since our boys played ball together. That's his son. And um, um, have, have ministered to their family on and off for the last 10 years or so. And Jim is coming because he wants to be part of our church family. So we're going to get him in foundations class and, um, and then bring him in and be part of our family. If you're excited about what he's going to do, would you just let him know that? Just give him a nice big round of applause. <laughs> Welcome to the City on a Hill. We're glad to have you. All right. Let's have a word of prayer together. Jim's going to be right down here if you want to come down and introduce yourself to him. And um, if you are up for our Get Acquainted lunch, we're going to meet out in the foyer. We're going to head over to Acorns and, and have lunch together. And um, if you would like to join us, I think we probably have a few extra slots. Just, just let me know. Say, I wasn't on the list. Can I still come? And I'll kind of count. I think we have about five extra slots. Um, if you'd like to come and join us out at Acorns, you're welcome to do that, okay? Let's have a word of prayer and we'll, and we'll go. Lord, we love you so much, but we recognize that our love for you is like the shine of the moon compared to the shine of the sun to your love for us. You poured your love out on us when we could not have cared less about you. You loved us enough to make the ultimate sacrifice of sending your son, and he sacrificed willingly to take the penalty for our sin so that we could have a relationship with you, so that we could be restored and renewed from our brokenness. So, Father, for those of us that are in this room that still, to this day, have not made that decision, I pray that by your Spirit you will not let them rest. They will recognize, they will see the brokenness in their lives. They will recognize that they are never going to be able to fix it on their own until they put their trust in you. Surrender their lives to you so that you can begin the process of renewing and remaking and restoring that relationship, that design that you had in their lives. For the rest of us, Father, we're going to go out as missionaries today. We're going to be watching and listening and looking for opportunities to just plant one little seed of the gospel in a person's life and then wait and see how you have that grow. So, Lord, be with us as we head out. Keep us in your care, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.